How you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Minema. And today we are talking about the role of non-Christian influences in the life of a Christian. Yeah, this came up in a conversation you and I were having some months ago about just really how important is it for Christians to read non-Christian literature, yep. for example, whether we're talking about, you know, some maybe Greek philosophers or anything, is it? And and I think the position, if I recall the conversation, was my unthoughtful, um, just, you know, immediate response was, well, I don't think that's, in fact, I, I, I'm rather guarded against that. Mm. And, uh, and so that a conversation pursued and had some time to to noodle on this a little bit, but I I think this is uh, this is a great this is a great topic because I'm just thinking you know if if I wrestle with this then there's got to be one or two other people that maybe, maybe wrestle maybe with a this couple. and and it doesn't have to be as highbrow as like should I read Immanuel Kant uh, it, it can be very much so what value does knowing my culture have, or should I allow my culture to speak into my life or to, should I engage with it at all? Um, and they're not always easy questions. Um, so yeah, and I that's think what we're going to try and grapple we're, with. We're, yeah. And, and maybe to just create a little bit of a, a framework or tension is I think part of the, the resistance is besides my, just my laziness and not, you know, not, I go through splurts of wanting to read and not wanting to read. But in addition to that, just I know from my own life, I know from, you know, from the counseling room how significant the battle for the mind is. Mm. And my concern or my guardedness in even in our original conversation was just as I'm thinking through this, is just that there's so much there's so much lie, there's so much deception, there's so much yuck that, I mean, is that really what I want? And maybe this seems a little, you know, legalistic. Do I really need or want to put all that? I, I already have stuff going into my mind yeah. that shouldn't be going into my mind. Oh, absolutely. I, do, why, why, if the battle's for the mind, if the battle is, you know, not to be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but be, to be renewed in my thinking— why in the world would I want to go read some of this stuff? So again, whether that that response is right or wrong, that's that's kind of where mm. I was coming from in that initial response. And so maybe that, and, and again, maybe that creates a little bit of framework for us. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a helpful framework, and I think it's the appropriate place to start. Um, and, uh, what I don't want to do from the pro we should be reading lots of different people side of the equation is to give cover to somebody to let their mind be more influenced by their culture than by their Bible hmm. or even by Christian thinking more broadly. Um, so let, let me start with the, the caveat at the beginning. Uh, I've used this line before. It's an old Spurgeon line. I've, I've visited many great books, but I live in the Bible that should be the appropriate breakdown. Um, do not hear anything that is going to follow in this conversation as a, I should go spend all kinds of time reading and engaging culture or excusing culture that is clearly uh, immoral, 
that that you're participating in and and steeping your life in like a like a bag of tea right and if you think of your life as a cup of tea what are those tea bags those those ingredients that you are putting in there and if culture is the largest thing you are consuming that is what your life is going to be a reflection of and as you're talking i'm thinking to myself we already are consumers of culture. We, we are. can't help it. That's we true. live. We live in culture, and so we are all um, affected, right. or maybe right. infected would be a better <laughs> word, right? <laughs> yes. But, but with culture and society, so I mean, that's why Romans twelve two just is so significant to me. Is I'm already yep. a product of culture. I need to be renewed in my thinking. So it. In one sense, it seems as though when I'm reading non-Christian literature or re- I'm I'm filling my mind more with the problem and not the solution. So again, I I think that's the yep. the tension in this. And I appreciate what you're saying is it's not it's not a replacement. And and I think this is part of where we're maybe perhaps where we're going is that as we read if we're advocating for reading outside of Scripture and reading non-Christian books and so forth, it, is it important that I have a, a solid foundation going into those things, right? Because otherwise, I, I guess I'm going to be shaped by— I mean, we all are shaped yep. in some way by what we read and what we take in. Absolutely. So it, it is It is not just a little bit important. It, it is massively important that you have— a biblical foundation, I would even extend that, say, a theological foundation that is derived from your Bible, to be able to spit out the bad and keep the good at one level and to properly understand. So I, th- I think we'll, we'll probably think about this on two prongs. There is value even to the Christian life that can be added by non-Christian thinkers. Mm. It, it's limited, but there, I think there's value there, and and it's we shouldn't pretend like they uh, that someone who's not a Christian has no insight into the world or into the human condition, or even into theology. There are times when non Christians have valuable insight there. That being said, more often than not, it's when I engage with uh, secular thinkers, it's going to be more to to try and understand my culture, to understand where people are. So I think it's two pronged as to why. But before we get to either of those prongs, you have to start with a theological and a biblical foundation that allows you to see that, because there have been many a well-meaning Christian get caught up in some thinker and not be able to repel the errors in their thinking. Mm. It happens all the time. So I'll I'll give a, a very modern version of this. I find over and over and over again young men who are completely taken, maybe that's, that's too strong of a word, because I, I think he has a lot of value to offer, with with Jordan Peterson. Mm. And yeah. I've listened to Jordan Peterson a decent amount. I think he has great insight on so many things. And and that's part of the really hard struggle with Jordan Peterson is like, where is that error it's not as easy to see as when you listen to Richard Dawkins or or Sam Harris, where you go, okay, this is clearly contradictory to Christian thinking. Jordan Peterson is going to be like, it's like a, an angle that's really small, 
right? If you look at an angle that's two degrees on a, a graph, like you can't even see the two different lines at the beginning. But if you extrapolate that out over a long period of time, huh. those two things start to separate massively. So I don't just uncritically engage in culture. You have to be have a proper framework to be able to enter into those things. Now, there's also a historical tension here. So I, in some ways, some of what I'm pushing back against, and, I'm, and hopefully I'm not going to pull the pendulum too far and back in the other direction, is the the fundamentalism that my tradition comes out of or has its roots in. The fundamentalists, if, if you're unaware of your Christian, uh, American Christian history, uh, most Christian denominations split in the early 20th century. And one side we now generally call mainline or liberal sometimes, depending on who's framing it, liberal mainline churches, and one side became fundamentalist churches. And almost every denomination, the Presbyterians had this, the Methodists, well, the Methodists are doing it right now in many ways, uh, but Baptists, and, and, and so all of them kind of split. The fundamentalists tended to retreat into their own spaces. We will just create our own culture. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's been a Christian around, you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that type of like, well, we have our own books. We have our own radios. We, we have, have our, our own schools. That, well, we do. And, yep. and I'm not suggesting all of that is necessarily bad, but when we've completely removed ourselves from the culture, we've seeded all of the ground. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a, a great line that uh, good, good philosophy, uh, uh, let me just pull it up here. Uh, uh, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason, because bad philosophy must be answered. <laughs> like, okay, that's great. Yeah, we, we need somebody to be out in the world engaging with ideas. I don't want to just retreat, but to be able to engage with ideas, I have to hear the ideas at some level. Now, again, have a good foundation. So I want to start there. Anything else you want to add? No, I, I think maybe just to put, to illustrate what you're saying, I think in real world, just an illustration. Uh, to try to put an illustration to it is I've got a good friend who um, retired out of the U.S. Treasury. And the one thing that they did with regards to recognizing counterfeit was they didn't spend a whole lot of time looking at all of the different variables of counterfeit. What they did was study the real thing so closely and so precisely and so intimately that when any kind of variation came along, it was obvious. It was obvious. Right. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is Please, we yeah. need to have we need to have a really good understanding, a thorough, intimate understanding of of scripture so that as we as mm-hmm. we read we can mm-hmm. we can we can detect truth versus lies, good versus bad. Absolutely. But I and that's going to come in philosophy books, but that's also going to come in just like blockbuster movies as well. The, the more you train yourself on this to, to think about worldview and to see theological claims, you can find theological claims in narratives that you're like, oh, there, there's a there's a hedonistic tone to that message. And, and if you aren't paying close attention, it's just like, oh, it's just a movie about, no, 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 there is a, there's an economic argument that's going on here. There's, and I'm not trying to suggest you need to become a film critic by any stretch, uh, but you shouldn't be unthinking in your consumption of media, all of it. 
I mean, listen, I, I'm always, uh, John Piper, a few years ago, I was at a conference and heard him say, you read fewer books and take more time. Like sit down with a pencil and say, like <laughs> mark up that page. Now, I don't think this conclusion flows from this argument. This is a non sequitur here. You know, Try to think about what is being said instead of just trying to get volume. It's, it's going to be way more beneficial to think deeply. And I think that's true, by the way, of Christian books as well as non-Christian books. Slow down, read it well, and think about what's going on. And I mean, maybe step one is just read it all. Um, so reading is good. Don't, don't shy away from it. But I think it's good to engage uh, just have a good foundation. So that's kind of the uh, kind of the introduction. So what half the podcast introduction? Yeah, yeah well, it's like a good sermon. Right? It was it was necessary. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, in I guess in the most succinct way you can, why should Christians read non Christians? Yep. So um, whether again whatever that. Whatever that is, how if we were just going to kind of come up with a one ABC one two three type mm-hmm. list, what what's your best argument? So two pronged. I want to read non Christians to be able to understand my culture, right? I need and and that comes out of variety. I could like download a bunch of things underneath the understanding of my culture. I want to understand that to be able to evangelize. I want to understand that to be able to help arm my children in their own thinking. I want to understand that to be able to help my congregation understand what they're encountering at work. I want to know where the winds of culture are blowing to help Christians think, help myself think through these. Each new generation has new set of issues that we have to grapple with and understand and apply a Christian worldview to. And if I don't know what my culture's issues are, then I'm going to be you know, aiming at the wrong target. So there's that first one. Yeah. So, so you're, again, if we're going to, to really to better understand, I read non-Christians to better understand the world around me. Well, yes, the world around me, but also even my own faith. So I, I can't understand fully my Christian thinking if I don't know what someone who would push back against it would <laughs> say. So go read Sam Harris's letter to a Christian nation. He, he despises Christianity, but I'm going to be, or, or Richard Dawkins is God delusion. And you go, okay, one, Dawkins, I'm sure he's a fine biologist. He's a terrible philosopher. Um, and it shows very quickly. It, it doesn't take long to be reading through this. And you're like, okay, well, well you, how many logical fallacies can you fit onto one page? So some of it is just a, 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 it's reassuring in some ways to hear the critique and and to be able to see it for what it is. Yeah. Now, and to see Dawkins and, is an easy one. Uh, Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris are going to have more pointed criticisms of Christianity that we'll have to grapple with. But but as you're reading them, I think yeah. you're saying it just gives you when you contrast that with the truth of Scripture, you're going, oh my word, we have so much more. Yeah, we have so much more. Truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Good. there's there's that side. Um, understanding culture and the benefits of understanding culture are numerous, probably innumerable. There's too much to even un- to try to unpack. Uh, it, it's valuable in, in every different way. So would you include, when you say understanding culture, would you include, you know, understanding the depth? We're talking about this a little bit earlier. Does this topic fall under that? Understanding the the depth 
of the human condition. Yeah. Would you? Would you? So, so I read so I can. I mean, the the depth of sin in the human condition, the depth of suffering around the world. I, I mean, especially with where we live, we don't. You know, on our worst day of suffering, uh-huh. which can be really bad, it still pales to some of the suffering that exists in the world. Um, even though we see sin in and around us, it pales with the depth of sin as we look at outside of our little our little ecosystems. Yeah, it, it's it's actually one of my favorite things to watch. Uh, secular vocations come around to reaffirm scripture on accident. They may not know. What well, a really notable one right now, you can find all kind of secular movements against pornography. The consequences of pornography on the brain are absolutely atrocious. I didn't need a neurological study to tell me that isn't good for you, but the neurological study is interesting and helpful for us to say, "Oh, we we've raised the young generation of kids with a very broken view of sex because their engagement with sex was through pornography. And now, the, the, I mean, you look at all of the studies right now, like they don't know how to have meaningful, intimate relationships. It's all mediated through screen. And you're like, okay, those studies, those neurological or psychological or sociological studies were pointing to a truth that Scripture already knew, and they were using different tools to affirm that truth. Yeah. And and if I go, no, there's nothing I can learn from this. I, it's not that oh, I learned something that I that Scripture didn't say was true, and this says is. It's not that, but it it will uh, frequently over and over and over again. You'll find, oh, this affirms that there's an old Hebrewism that all truth is God's truth, right? Like, or, or uh, God's signature is truth, I think is the way they phrase it. Anytime you find truth, it is emanating from God. It doesn't matter what field you're in, truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. And so you find those things and I go, I go to understand culture and when culture is uh, operating well, which isn't a given, <laughs> don't, don't get me any... Uh, misgivings on that. Um, but when culture is seen clearly, and we'll have to touch on common grace in just a moment, uh, it's able to reaffirm what my Bible is already telling me and help maybe give me other language or, or even, and this is an interesting one, uh, it allows me to engage with non-Christians yeah. at a level that is appealing to them because I'm not right. They dis they dispute the authority of Scripture. I get that. I I understand entirely why you don't want Scripture to be true. But if all I have is Scripture, and it should be the majority of what you have. Again, let me go back to our caveat. Um, you aren't able to help them see that that what's true in Scripture is actually affirmed by the rest of these things. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, going back to our original conversation, I got to thinking after that. I thought, you know. I read, I read a lot of non-Christian stuff in within my little world of psychology and psychiatry mm-hmm. because for the very reasons you said, I want to under, I want to understand that. So as I engage them, because they're not going to engage at the level of the scripture. That's an I, appeal if, to an authority that they're disputing. That's right. And so if I'm going to, yeah. if I'm going to have a conversation with them, I've got to be able to meet them right where they're at. Yes. The other piece of that is, 
I want to better understand where they're coming from so we can build bridges yes. between where, because where they're at, there's a lot of people that come in, for example, in, in, in the counseling ministry that come in that are, let's just say, psychologized. Well, I've got to be able to build bridges from that to the truth of Scripture. And if I don't understand what that starting point is, and I don't understand, it's going to be pretty hard to build that, build that bridge. And so uh, those are, I mean, those are compelling reasons to read, you know, non-believers. Sure. So one more example on this that I find really helpful that that illustrates this, like understanding my culture changes how I engage in a really, really helpful way. Um, If you start talking with someone who is a skeptic of Christianity or an even outright hostile actor towards Christianity, and the conversation turns to creation— they're going to want to frame that debate in terms of uh, age of the earth, probably. And if I, within Christian circles, I understand why that question goes on, but that's not where I want to talk to someone who's not a believer on. If, If I'm talking to someone who completely disputes all of Christianity, I'm not going to spend my time on trying to debate age of the earth. I want to go and say, do, do you want a a just society because a universe that randomly comes about through material processes over billions of years has no foundation for justice. In fact, if you want justice in this world, which again, it's a trigger word, but if I understand my culture, I know that, that especially people in my demographic, the millennials and younger are, are going to like justice is, is, so important to them and go, great. A just society has to be built on an ordered universe because justice assumes a standard. There has to be a right and a wrong and it can't be floating on nothing. By what standard do you get to justice? If it's not someone created with a good and an evil, you have to have that. So I, I want to appeal to my culture's uh, sensitivities when I'm talking through these questions with somebody, I, I want to go to, oh man, if, if you uh, want justice in the world, you should be thrilled about a creator. Thrilled, absolutely. And I don't want to talk about age. Don't, don't let that be the dominating question of the conversation. Focus on the, the fact that a, a rightly ordered universe, a just universe is a reflection of a, an ordered universe that is created intentional by God. So it, it plays itself out. Mm. that's the first sign yep so understanding culture understanding culture what else number two there is and and we've already um, these two things overlap there is a common grace that comes to all people and and some of this the the there's overlap between all these terms too and how we understand them so general revelation the idea that if you look at Romans 1, that in creation, or many of the Psalms, that God is seen in creation. Every, every human is accountable because the created order screams of a creator. So there's a general revelation and there is a common grace. There's a grace that God has allowed himself to be known. There is grace that God delays judgment. There's grace that all kinds of different things are under this broad umbrella of common grace. And then maybe a third term I'll add in there that is... Uh, contributing to this conversation, that the image of God is imparted into all people. 
And those things combined for us to say, you don't have to have the fullness of the person of Jesus to be able to make a true statement on the world in which we live, whether that is uh, just material or mathematical or even philosophical or anthropological. There are all kinds of true things that non-Christians can't understand. And if you're, again, if you have that good biblical theological foundation, that if you're able to read them, there are times when uh, someone who's not coming at things from a Christian perspective may think about it from a different angle. And you're like, oh, that actually helps me see and understand God. So you have to spit out a lot of bad that may come with that, um, but seeing and understanding a, a God at a deeper level. So when you say common, we, we talked about this earlier, we, we, we should probably do a podcast on, on yeah. grace, on common grace. And, but what you're saying is that by reading outside of the typical Christian circles, unbelievers can reveal truth, not because they understand it from the Scripture, Yep. but because of God's common grace. And so I can see and understand, a, 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 I can be exposed to a greater spance of truth by reading unbelievers, just being able to recognize that that God's common grace, well, that they, they're, they're recipients of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, we, we've talked about this before, and I mentioned it the last time. I, I had an, a, a personal experience with this, with the story of the portrait of Dorian Gray. It's written by Oscar Wilde. If you, if you don't know this story, Oscar Wilde is a uh, hedonist, is the, is the proper term, probably. He, he lived for his own satisfaction. He was wealthy. He, you know, Englishman, and wanted to live it up. And he quite famously tells a story uh, in Portrait of Dorian Gray that is a reflection of a, a true moment that happened in his life. He was sitting for a painting back in the, you know, it's, it's a different time in a different place. He didn't take selfies. He got paintings done. Uh, so he's sitting for a portrait a painting and he made some kind of comment of, wouldn't it be great if the consequences of my lifestyle would go on the painting instead of on me? And I mean, that's, that's just a profound yeah, that's, thought yeah. in and of itself. He is completely anti-Christian. He's a, a famously homosexual, uh, famously lives for his own glory and his own satisfaction. But he wrote the book, Portrait of Dorian Gray, to, to create a character where that happens. And the exact same thing plays out at the beginning of the book. Sorry, spoilers. It, you know, it's like 150 years old or something like that. Um, he has a painting done and he you know, makes this wish or some deal with the devil type of thing. And the character, Dorian Gray, lives this wild, sinful, self-satisfying life, but he still looks like a young 20-year-old man and none of his consequences ever catch up to him because it all goes on the painting. But he ends up hiding the painting away and he's ashamed of it. He's covering it, pretending like no one could see it. And I encountered that book as a, I don't know, I was probably a junior in college, and it was in a class at Moody Bible Institute that was titled uh, Theology of Sin as Portrayed by Monsters in Literature. And, you know, we're reading Dorian Gray, and I had my professor, uh, she was great, uh, Dr. Rosalie de Rose. She would, uh, she, she loves writing out her whole name, Rosalie de Rose. Anyhow, um, <laughs> she, you can hear, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You can hear the character in the, uh, but, 
understood sin in a deeper way. Yeah. And I thought about the consequences of sin through a story written by a non-Christian. He didn't, I mean, obviously, he, like he knew what was happening to him. He lived this out. He ends up dying destitute with the consequences of his sin catching up to him. So he knew it was coming. But he was a non-Christian and had deep insight into the consequence of sin. Mm-hmm. So I think there can be value there if you have the proper framework yeah. to grapple with it. Yeah, that's good. So I, you're not really saying, and I, and I think this is pretty clear, I'm not reading to get my morality from non-Christians. I'm going to get my morality, if that's the right term, from the Scriptures. I'm, I'm not reading non-Christians for character, although I'm seeing contrasting sure. character. But, um, but I'm, reading, I'm reading to see God's common grace. I'm reading... Uh, to have a better view of the culture and world around me. Uh-huh. You mentioned image of God. Yep. And uh, can you maybe, can you tease that out a little bit? Because I think that's that's a really important one. It's really good. I mean, as you're, I just, there's a couple, maybe, I'm wondering if these would be good examples or not, but I'd rather you tease it out than me try to tease it out. Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of debate as to when you look at Genesis 1. What what does that mean? The fact that the image of God is imparted into humanity. And more often than not, what people try to do is they go, look at humanity, look at God, and then look at the animals. And what does humanity share with God that the animals don't? You know, And so it, a lot of times it's it's dominion or it's creativity or it's intellect. And I, I'm not, the text isn't incredibly clear as to the specificity of what that image means. That being said, uh, I, I think there are a lot of the, the, the first thing we have to recognize that the text does say is it's given to everyone. So it's not something that is limited to Christians. It's not something that's limited to those who are special. It is given to all people. And that indwelling image of God gives value. So it besto- the clearest thing, it bestows value. Worth, value. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Um, now, does that bring with it, and I think it's, it's appropriate to understand that some understanding of reasoning that— yeah that hum- humans have that doesn't exist in the animal world in the, in the same capacity by any stretch. And so... And he, function. Yeah, yeah. So you can find someone who doesn't have Christ, doesn't have special revelation from God, but as a result of common grace and God's image, can think well and reason properly and come to true conclusions because God has shown a rightly ordered universe. He has instilled an image that that endows people with an ability to think. And uh, I think we can find all kinds of uh, common ground there hmm. with non-Christians. So if I'm, <clears throat> I'm reading, uh, or maybe I, I think of, you know, Part of being created in the image of God when we talk about function is creativity. Yep. So as I observe creativity in the world, uh, when I'm reading or observing a uh, a secular artist, in one way I am reading and experiencing the beauty and the creativity of God. That that's I think. That's would would that be I, I a think that's fair. I mean, you can read Walt Whitman and you can be blown away at his understanding of the natural world and the the poetry, mm-hmm. quite literally, even though he's 
not really uh, trying to write to the glory of God. God can use that sort of thing to reveal who he is through his creation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I think there's room there. We have to do it well. You have to do it carefully. I'm not trying to give you cover. Again, uh, there are, this is not an attempt that... Please don't use this attempt to say you can read non-Christians or engage in non-Christian culture as a uh, as cover to engage with immoral and sinful things. That that is not what I'm right. trying to do. Um, but I think it can be a helpful thing to understand your culture and to even understand theology and God more deeply um, if you have you have your wits about you. How about, I mean, you love history. Yeah. You read a lot of uh, secular historians. What is some of the value in in that, right? I mean, just talk about the, the value of understanding history, because most of us are historically illiterate, if we're just kind of being honest. Yeah, I mean, I always joke, that's because the football coach was the history teacher and you never paid attention to it. But yeah... I, I, the the number of times that I think I I don't get caught up in trends as easily because I've seen I I didn't have to travel to somewhere else to see a different culture I read about it in a history book and I got to think through and go oh wait a minute and and a lot of my work in history is more Christian history that being said I mean it overlaps and and so you 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 see I mean you see sinfulness as well mm-hmm. so I mean you can see uh, there's a, a great uh, Churchill line, like the uh, Churchill's just such a great character because he's so interesting. But like you understand narcissism when you start reading Churchill. It's like yeah, I think the line is "We're all worms, but I think I'm a glowworm." And you're like, of course you do, Winston. Of course you do. Uh, so just understanding the propensity of humanity towards sin, and that that is a universal, a universal. If we are you know, some of the modern movements in American Western culture that try to single out America as uniquely pernicious and broken in this world. It takes a very cursory reading of history to find that that is just not the case. That sinfulness is not an American problem, it's a human problem. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to work on our sinfulness, it just means that we should have a proper understanding of the scope. And reading history will help you do that. It, it, it'll, it'll keep you grounded. And I think it's, it's a very valuable thing just because of that. Yeah, it's good. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, you're going to be the, probably the resource for resources here. I'm not going <laughs> to contribute much to this. What, um, some thoughts on resources or if somebody wants to just think about this more? Yeah. I don't know that I have a, a, a good suggestion on that. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody who who does. I mean, we were talking about Gavin Ortland has a YouTube channel that is is very good frequently on a lot of these things. It's called Truth Unites. A lot of the stuff that he does, I, I would recommend in understanding understanding Christianity broadly, but also engaging with with culture as well. Um, 
And, and there's a lot of different guys out there who I think engage with culture well. If you want to, I mean, worldview analysis, we talk about the frequently, Al Mohler's The Briefing. Oh. If I, I I go through seasons of liking it. My my younger brother has a great line. Like, I don't think anybody should have that much to say on things. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> um, you know, he does it every day. But in terms of like understanding culture and and sometimes Mohler's a little, a little heady, um, but frequently it'll help you think Start thinking through that type of critical lens that you can use to develop to to read non-Christians well. So I, th- I think those would be pretty accessible resources there. Yeah, good. Great. Good. All right. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, more meat on that bone, and we may try to come back to it with something on Common Grace. Uh, but continue reading. Go, go study and learn and think to the glory of God, your Bible, uh, others as well, uh, and and don't miss the great glory of the salvation we have in Christ and uh, that as a proper framework to understand all things. It's a joy to be his.